Hey, y'all, we're going to jump into the Word this morning. We are wrapping up our series called The God That Shakes the Mountain. If you have your Bibles, we are in Exodus chapter 19. Thanks so much for, uh, for kind of pushing through the last four weeks with us. If, you, if, you, if you've not been here in the last few weeks or you missed one, all of these can be, you can listen to all of these at our website, kingschurch.net. You can listen right there, or it's also on um, Google Play or Apple Podcasting. You can add, add that to your phone, and it automatically brings in the messages. So if you missed some, you can go back and listen, but we're going to jump in for this last one, Exodus chapter 19. Let me get my notes out. Oh, we do have a couple of announcements. Sorry, Chuck, I'm just <laughs> kind of got off track. Let me give these, though, guys. Um, you know what? I'll give them at the end. It's all right. I, don't, I want to get into the word. I'll give these at the end. So, so in, in Exodus chapter 19, God's people have been brought out, of, brought out of slavery in Egypt. You know, the ten plagues, the let my people go, the Pharaoh, Moses, all of that incredible story crossing over the Red Sea. Now they're in the desert. Now they're at the base of this mountain. God is about to address them for the first time. And he calls Moses up to the top of the mountain, and God's going to say some things to them. He's going to give them the law, but he says one pretty powerful sentence to them before anything else. He says, you, he says, Moses, this is what you are to tell the people. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, although the whole earth is mine, says God, you will be for me my treasured possession. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And I'm, to me, this is the whole point of all this, is that is one of the most pivotal verses, I believe, in the Old Testament, because it reflects what does God really want for his people? What's his heart? And he addresses, I believe, three realities. In that one statement, he addresses three realities that are going to be true, not just for that generation thousands of years ago, it's true for you and I. And the first reality he addressed was what? A question of what? Anybody remember? Identity. Who am I? And God says, the question of identity, you are my treasure possession. You belong to me. I love you. I chose you. And that's the first stone to be laid in our life is who are we? And if that is answered properly, everything else can really be built on top of that. And then the next thing that we looked at last week was the question of character. How are we to live? How do we behave? How do we interact with, with, with the world and with one another? How do we live our lives and make decisions? And God says, you are also to be a holy nation. We talked about what that means to be holy, what that means to be set apart. And this final reality that God addresses is one of destiny. What are we to do? We know who we are. We know how we're to live. Now, what is our mission in the world? What's our purpose in the world? Um, I'm sure you probably have this book on your bookshelf, The Purpose Driven Life. Raise, raise your hand if you have it. It came out, I'm thinking, what, 20 years ago, I bet, by Rick Warren? The purpose, it, was, it was by far the, one of the, the best-selling books of all time. Millions and millions, tens of millions of copies sold. And the, the fundamental question that Warren addressed in this book is, why on earth am I here? And people were snatching this book up. And not just Christians, not just church people. Everybody was reading this because it was getting into this one question that every single human asks at some point in their life. Why am I here? Why am I, why am I on this earth? Anybody ever asked that or wondered that? Maybe some of you are wondering that still, you know? What have I been created for? So Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 19, 7 through 11 is beginning to address this very thing. Why on earth have we been created? And God says to the people, he says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. 
And that one phrase, I think, sums up my destiny and your destiny. It's what we've been made for. In fact, this, and I remember reading this for the first time years ago, and I was, I was so struck by this. I was, I was just thinking about, that, that's an amazing thing. You know, that's an amazing thing that, like, everyone could be a priest, right? And I, in fact, I liked it so much, I named my son after this, Cohen. You might have met Cohen, the, the little shy, quiet, Five-year-old, if, if he's missing, look for the highest place in the room because he's probably on that. Like he climbed on our ref- top of our refrigerator the other day. And I just, he, he means well, but he said, son, you, you can't scale walls. Cohen is uh, sort of the English form of the Hebrew word for priest. And if maybe you know people of Jewish background and perhaps you've heard the last name of Cohen. You know, like the Cohen brothers, these two filmmakers, or Sasha Baron Cohen, who was an actor, or um, Leonard Cohen, the composer, you know, back, in, back you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. That's a, that's a traditionally Jewish surname, and it refers to a particular family in, in, Jew, in, in Judaism who can trace their lineage back to the priesthood. And you didn't have the last name Cohen unless you could trace your lineage all the way back to the Levitical priesthood, because the priests, they were the Kohenim, that's the plural form. A priest is a Kohen, and the plural form is a Kohenim. You know, so all, sort of all through history, up, up to the present day, the, of the, the Jewish families who were of the, Levitical, of the tribe of Levi, who were of the priesthood, they had the last name Kohen. And I, in thinking and praying about this for my son, I just said, Lord, I, I want this destiny for my son. I want him to be a priest. And I didn't mean that literally. I don't want him to join the priesthood in the Catholic Church. Or I'm not talking about the, the vocation. I'm talking about that, that call to what we're about to unpack here in this next 20, 25 minutes. And I said, oh, Lord, and I felt like the Lord said, name him that then. Name him Cohen. Name him priest. So I did that. So Kohenim, it means priest. But li- if you were sort of to literally translate it, it means one who serves that makes sense, but also means one who draws near. One scholar says it actually kind of comes from this root, what it means to draw near. And I love, I love the first one, serve, but I especially love this other meaning to draw near. And here's why I love it so much. Look in Exodus chapter, flip ahead one chapter to 20. So God is sort of like called Moses up. The people are down here, right? Because the people are afraid. They don't want to come up to the mountain. The thunder and the fire and the smoke and all these things. They're like, no, we'll stay back, Moses. You go up. And Moses goes up. So Moses, in one effect, is sort of like he's the first one. So in in chapter 20, go to verse 18. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance. Y'all say stayed at a distance. They stayed back, right? They don't want anything to do with this. You know, this is kind of how I feel. Like, you know, whenever I go to like Red River Gorge or places like the Grand Canyon, and if I, you ever, the Natural Bridge, you ever been on the top of Natural Bridge? That's terrifying to me. You know, and Natural Bridge is what, a good 40 feet across? Like, I am dead center right here. If I go up at all, I am not going to the left. I'm not going to the right. I want to be right here in the center of gravity because I do not want to get near and fall off. 
These people stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. That's awesome. Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Guys, don't be afraid. I know it's like a lot of stuff, but God loves you. He said himself that he brought you to himself. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Another translation says the people stood far off while Moses drew near. It's a big deal. That's what a priest means. One who draws near. And God is going to, orc- he's going to institute in the chapters to come the Levitical priesthood. He's going to say, Aaron, you are the first. You are from the tribe of Levi going back 500 years. But Aaron, you and your sons will serve me as priests in my tabernacle. And it was an official order. It was a, a structured thing. They were to wear the certain kind of clothes, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and they weren't going to have their own property. Their home was going to be in the temple of the Lord. And they were the ones who were responsible for all of the temple worship. They were responsible for all of the sacrifices. They were responsible. He's got, and in, in the books to come, you know, Leviticus and, and, and Numbers and those they're the ones who are going to go and offer sacrifices and and be able to go into the most holy place on that certain day of atonement. So God is going to institute this priesthood, including the high priest, which is going to continue all the way up until the time of Jesus. But before all of that happens, God looks at his people and says, all of you are going to be, for me, royalty. You're going to be royal priests. You're going to be a kingdom of priests, every single one of you. Don't miss this. You know, we, we, we think of the priesthood, we think of the Old Testament priests as ones who were set apart and chosen, and they are. You know, only the certain ones can go in. But don't forget that before any of that is set in place, God says, all of you are going to be this for me. So what does that mean? What does that mean for you and I? Does that mean that all of us need to sort of take these holy orders? That we need to, you know, go join the monastery and become priest and wear the little thing? Or that we go to seminary and, and become, you know, clergy or pastors or whatever it is? That's not what God has in mind. That's not what he's talking about. For him, this is a, this is a spiritual destiny that they're going to fulfill. So I want to give you three things that I believe is our destiny if we follow this, if we follow with God. And we're going to use the word koanim because that's what it means. We're priests. The plural is koanim. So first one is this. Koanim your destiny is to be a Kohenim, one who draws near to God. That's it. That's the first thing. Um, Revelation chapter 5. And I'll, I'll give you three things of what that means in a minute, but let's flip here to Revelation chapter 5. I'm getting ahead of myself, y'all. Does that ever happen? This is what we're made for. We're made to be um, ones who are in God's presence. I was almost so tempted to read this during our worship time, but the Lord said no. He said don't. But 4 and 5, this is a, this is a snapshot. This is a picture of ultimate reality. I'm just going to read it, and then I'll come back to it in a minute. Revelation 5, beginning in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living elder creatures, And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing 
as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven, the sevenfold spirit of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the, the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the land, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Verse 10, And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Our destiny is to be a kingdom and priest to our God and to reign in the earth. The end is already written. It's already done. The Lord just calls us to walk this reality out. So we have three tasks then as Kohanim. The first is we minister to God in prayer and worship. And we don't think of the, of the ancient priests. We, we often think that their role is what? To intercede for the people, right? To go in and to make the sacrifices and to put the blood on there and, you know, to atone for all the people's sin. But before, any of, before that, their first role is to, minister, is, is to minister to God in prayer and worship. And here's why that matters. The Old Testament sacrifices, they were not the end to themselves. They were a means to an end. The sacrifices needed to be made, the atonement needed to be made, so that priests could draw near to God and minister to Him. In Revelation 4 and 5, this is a picture of what reality really is and will be like. Constant worship, constant prayer. And some of you are thinking, that sounds really boring. (laughs) I promise you that will not be the case when we're surrounded by this, when we're living in this reality. Westminster Westminster, uh, Catechism says, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our primary purpose in life is ministering to the Lord. I'll say it again. Our primary purpose, your primary purpose in life is to minister to the Lord in prayer and worship. And if you've not, found the joy in doing that it's not because you weren't made to do it you just haven't found the joy in doing it yet and there is joy to be found in it i'm thrilled about the last 20 years there's been this this explosion of uh of prayer houses around around the nation Um, In 1999, two simultaneous 24-hour prayer movements started, one of those in Kansas City and the other one, I believe, in in, in Europe somewhere. Two individuals in the exact same month, in the exact same year, began uh, responding to a call of the Lord to start 24-7 prayer houses, continuing to this day. And more and more of those around um, are, are happening around the world and around the U.S. I've met with five or six other pastors in the last two weeks who are committed to to bringing 24-7 prayer here to Lexington, and we're going to be a part of that too. That's part of our DNA. That's part of our threefold mission is to be a house of prayer because our primary purpose is not evangelism. Our primary purpose is worship and prayer. That's why we were made. 
Here's the crazy thing. I read, I read this, but I don't, it may have, it's easy to skip over it, but look at, I want to read it again, Revelation 5, 8. And when, um, when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So each one has this bowl. What's inside the bowl? What are they? Prayers. Whose prayers? Of the priests? Of the pastors? Whose? Who are the saints? Raise your hand if you're a saint. That's right. Your prayers, listen to me, this is reality. This is not hyperbole. This is not metaphor. The prayers that you are, the petitions to God, the prayers that you're pouring out, even if you don't feel like they're doing anything, they're ascending into the throne room of God every time you pray them. And they're being gathered together in this place. Now watch what happens. Flip on over to Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. You think those prayers, that you know, sometimes we think they're like vapor. They just dissipate and where do they go? And maybe God didn't hear. Maybe God forgot. Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer. Remember what was in the first bowl? It was incense. And what was that incense? It was your prayers and my prayers. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. So this angel has been responsible for these prayers, for yours, the ones that you've been pouring out, for your loved ones, for your grandkids, for your sons and daughters, and for everything else. All of these are coming up. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer. What's in, what's in the censer? prayers, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it onto the earth. Your prayers will return with fire to the earth. Your prayers will return with fire to the earth. Why? Because there is power in prayer. There is power in worship because it's what we're made to do. So our first task, we minister to God in prayer and worship. We draw near to God. We're near to him. Or we live lives of just being in his presence. And we sang it here. That's all we want. That's what we desire here. Second thing is this. Kohanim, that's you and I, we offer a ministry of reconciliation to the world. That's our second task. We intercede. So the overflow of prayer, once we've positioned ourselves in prayer and worship, the overflow of that is what? It's ministry to other people. You can't be in the presence of God very long before you begin to have his heart for other people. You can't sit in the prayer room very long before you just have this unction to go out into the street and minister his love and his power to people. So it's an overflow of prayers, ministry to others. That's why prayer movements often lead to historic revivals. Every major revival in history has begun with a prayer movement. It goes back to Pentecost. What were the disciples doing when they gathered together? They were in Prayer meeting. And the same thing is happening now, I believe. God is stirring up a prayer movement. Why? Because he's about to bring global revival. I believe that. And I'm positioning this church to be a part of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to do that. Today's ministers, myself included, we spend a lot of our time Preparing sermons, counseling, strategizing, writing goals, making budgets, 
forming teams and discipling and all of those things. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament version of me spent most of their time doing what? Either worshiping and lifting up or, honestly, sacrificing animals. It was a bloody, relentless, death-filled job. Mine's not that bad. Why do they do these? To reconcile an unholy people with a holy God. They stand in the middle. They stand and they represent both. To God, they represent the people. They say, God, listen, we know that there's an, I know that I come from an unholy people. Have mercy on us here. Take the blood of this lamb instead of our own blood. That's what priests do. They reconcile. They say, God, do not bring judgment here. Take the blood of this animal and have mercy on your people. Then they turn to the people and say, people, listen, I represent God. Here's his law. Here's what he says. He loves you, but he has high standards that you need to live up to. He's going to enable you to do this. So they represent both, reconciling these two people together, an unholy people with a holy God. And that's what you and I are called to do. We're called to be bridge builders. We're called to be matchmakers. We're called to be mediators. We're called to have sort of one eye on the holy and one eye on the unholy and say, Lord, how can these two things come together again? Koenim offer a ministry of reconciliation to the world. You guys with me? Last one. Koenim extend the rule and reign of God on earth. They extend the rule and reign of God on earth. So God has not only called us to minister as priests, he's called us to reign as kings. Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests. That's what Revelation says as well. We will be a kingdom, kings and priests, and they shall reign on the earth. Where does it say we're going to reign? Does it say we're going to reign in heaven? No. Where does it say we're going to reign? Here on earth. That's it. This is our domain. This is our dominion. This is what God's given us to reign over. One day, you and I are going to have full authority to reign over the earth. And here's what reign means, by the way, because there's a lot of negativity that can go with this. Even in my own mind, I think of, of kings as being these, you know, sort of the, 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 the lords with all the power and the holding up the scepter, and they're like decreeing this thing, and they're decreeing that thing, and off with their head, or, you know, bring me whatever it is. I don't know what it is. We all have these, this sort of mental imagery that, like, the idea of ruling as a king is, is all about authority and esteem and privilege. But to reign means to accomplish the work of the king, the king, capital K. You and I are going to reign as kings, lowercase. But our job is to accomplish the work of the king, capital K, in the name and the authority of the king. His work, that's what we're called to do, in his name and his authority. In other words, not ours. It's not our kingdom. It's not our kingdom to rule over. It's his kingdom that we're going to rule with Christ over. And this is what made Jesus' ministry so powerful. You know, if you, if you read through Mark especially, you know, during those early chapters, it talks about how Jesus went out and he began to do these incredible things. And it says the people were amazed, not just at the signs that he did, they were amazed at the authority that he had. You know, and Jesus would say some of the most outlandish things, you know, he would say, you have, you have heard it said this, and he would quote something in the Old Testament, but I say to you this, and he would have something different, as if he had the authority then to sort of, you know, upbraid the law. And that's why he, made his, he had the full authority of the Father. That's what made Jesus' ministry so powerful. And in reality, so do you and I. We have that authority as well. We have the authority of the Father as well. 
and we just, I think we don't walk in it. We've been, a couple weeks ago on Kingdom Boot Camp, we were unpacking this a little bit. You know, what does it mean to walk in authority? What does it mean that you and I have the authority of Christ? What does it mean that you and I can be kings? It means we can extend his reign. We know his heart. We're in his presence. We know what he wants to do. We have the authority to speak those things into reality and to bring those things about. Not through our own power, but because he's given us power. So Kewanim, they minister to God. We minister to God in prayer and worship. We offer a ministry of reconciliation to the world. That's what we do. And we extend the rule and the reign of God on earth. Easy task, right? You guys ready to do it? All right, Brian, come on up. This is short. I moved through it, but I want to end with something in Hebrews 12. Brian, you can come on up. I can't see you. I'm nearsighted. But wherever you are, you can, you can kind of begin to, bring, to make your way up here. Back to the mountain, and we're done with this series here, just with this little passage. Hebrews 12, 18. The writer of Hebrews, he's speaking to you and I now. He's speaking to the church. And he's, I'll read it. For you have not come to the mountain, you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkest, darkness and tempest and to the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. That mountain sounds familiar. That's the mountain of Exodus. And the writer of Hebrews says, You're not, you've not come to this mountain anymore. Verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. You guys know we're surrounded right now by angels? Some of you can see them. I wish I could. I can imagine them. I can imagine them all sitting up on the top of that shelf right there, sitting in the pews next to you guys. We're surrounded by the invisible kingdom of God all the time. To the general assembly, that's all of us, and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. We've come to all of these, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You didn't come to this old mountain. That's the old way. Fire and smoke and trembling, an unapproachable God. No, this is something altogether different that you've come to. Through the blood of Jesus, the gates have been flung open for you. A city, a family, brothers and sisters, Go to verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom 
which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. That's what priests do. We serve. We draw near and we serve. That we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Wouldn't it be great if it said, for our God was a consuming fire? Doesn't say that. God doesn't change. The God who shakes the mountain is still the God that's here. And by the grace and the blood of Jesus, he redirects his consuming fire. And no longer is it a fire of wrath against you. It's a fire to purify you and to burn up all the things that come against you. You guys remember that story in Daniel? The three Hebrew boys, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story? They were tied up with the ropes. They were pushed into the fire. The Bible says that the only thing that burned up was what? The ropes, that's it. Smoke wouldn't even be on their clothes, even nothing at all. Just the things that bound them were burned away. Our God's a consuming fire, but he's a consuming fire who is burning with love for you. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear his words of identity to you. Let it be, let, let, let it be spoken to your heart now this morning. If you hear nothing else, hear him say, friend, sister, brother, mom, dad, You've seen all that I've done in your life. You've seen how I've carried you through some difficult things. And you are going to be my special one. You're my treasured possession. I want you to hear that, church. You're his treasured possession. And he's making you and us and all of us into a holy people who share his character. And he's calling us to draw near and to serve. Let's stand up. We're going to pray over us. And then, um, whew. Yeah, just receive that. We'll have some ministry time here. It won't be as, it won't be as lengthy. I think we did some before the message, but we'll, we'll open it up. Hey, would you put your hands out like this? Can I do that? Can I kind of pray a blessing over you and myself? <laughs> so Lord, we just receive, Lord, we receive the voice from the God that shakes the mountain. We receive, Lord, this truth of our identity. We are your beloved ones. We are your treasured possessions. We are a holy nation, Lord. And we will be Kohanim. We will be royal priests. Father, by your grace, by your grace we draw near to you. By, we, by your grace we draw near to the consuming fire. Father, I pray that just your fire would consume anything inside of us, Lord, that is not honoring to you. 
Anything that is holding us back from the mountain, that he would consume that. Any wounds, Lord, or hurts, or roots of bitterness, Father, would you just consume those with your fire? Any afflictions, Lord, would you just consume those with your fire? Any entangling sin, would you consume that with your fire right now? And bring full freedom to your children and full deliverance and full empowerment to your children. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Um, if, if we can pray over you specifically about some things, healing or uh, just to receive the Lord, receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, healing, any of those things, I'll just ask you to kind of come down in the front here just in a minute after I've done these, and we'll have some prayer counselors that are here. I do want to give you a couple of announcements before we go. By the way, welcome guests. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. If you get a, a, We'd love for you to take a connection card there in the back of, your, of the pews. Fill that out. Um, if, you, if you can take those to the, back ta- to the back welcome center out here in the lobby, we have a gift for you. Um, if you'll turn that in, we'll have a gift for you there as well. Um, you can give three different ways to give. Give online at kingschurch.net slash give. You can text or you can put a cash or check in these boxes right back here against the wall on your way out. Thanks for your giving. Thanks for your faithfulness, by the way. Family Feast Thanksgiving edition is coming up in a few weeks. I believe it's uh, November 24th. That's a big potluck-style meal that we all do together here. Every single one of you needs to be here. Every single one of you. You do not want to miss this. We're having smoked turkey, all the sides. If you're a King's Church regular, I need you to sign up to bring some sides. So go to kingschurch.net slash thanksgiving, and there's a form where you can kind of help, uh, help us fill in some of these things that we need to bring as well. And uh, youth, our youth group outing today, 4 to 7, meet here at 4 o'clock. You're going to go to Malibu Jackson, have some dinner. So parents, make sure kids are here at 4. I think that's it. All right. All hearts clear? Hmm? Um, yeah, I'll give those words one more time, and then we're, we're going to... I read these earlier, but I'll give them again in case we can pray. Heart attack, someone in the congregation has had or is having one. Uh, Beverly, I think that's Beverly, I think that's for you. I'll completely restore their heart and they will not need to worry about it again. Maybe it's for somebody else too. Uh, a molecular disorder where their cells do not metabolize energy correctly. The energy goes to some places but not others. I see someone's hip went out when they bent down to get something. Keon, by the way, come on up here and we're gonna lay hands on you um, in place for, for Sandra, okay? Um, I see someone's vision is blurring in and out. The Lord is saying, allow me to fix what doctors can't fix. And finally, concentration of lipids in the blood. The Lord wants to remove those lipids. Or anything else that we can pray for. Come up to the front. The rest of you, you're free to go in grace and peace. I love you. Thanks for coming. <laughs>